0: This is episode 216 of That Shakespeare Life. Just like Shakespeare's plays were supported by his patrons, our show is supported by listeners just like you who sign up to support us on Patreon. Unlock bonus episodes and exclusive visual content for today's show at patreon.com slash Shakespeare Psst. Hey, it's me, Cassidy. I know Gary's already done the editing on the show for today, but I just had to jump in here to interrupt the program because I have a special announcement. Starting July 6th, I'm going to be starting my Zero to Podcasting Mastermind Group. It's a one-year training intensive program where I will work with historians and humanities professionals that want to start their own successful podcast. I'll be walking them through step-by-step how to go from absolutely nothing but a desire to podcast all the way to successful business podcast plot that lets your passion for history work for you. I know this training program works because it's the exact step by step method I use to launch that Shakespeare life. And it's the same method that's already worked for other students of mine who started out as listeners just like you. If you're sitting there wishing you had a successful podcast of your own, then come join us this year and let me show you how to make that dream a reality. Now, I'm only taking a handful of people because to work with you in this highly one on one personalized way, we're keeping the group super, super small and focused so that I can focus on making sure sure you get the results that you want. If you want to be in on my exclusive mastermind group and finally start that podcast you've been thinking about, then apply right now at CassidyCash.com slash mastermind. Mastermind is all one word. So that's CassidyCash.com slash mastermind. The deadline to get that application in is coming up fast. It's June 30th and we won't be accepting applications after that date. So go ahead and apply right now. I hope I will see you inside. Okay, Gary, take them back to the show. Fundamentally, it
1: is the posters for the lottery are really kind of showing these wonderful prizes, life changing prizes that it offers. And they are life changing. I mean, the top prize is £5,000, which is around a million pounds or, you know, $1.2 million today.
0: And now, here's Cassidy. William Shakespeare uses the word lottery in his play eight times, often referring to a reward that comes after taking a gamble. While we may be familiar with lotteries like the Powerball or Publishing Clearinghouse here in the United States, a ticket-based lottery where people could pay money for a chance to win big was brand new for England in Shakespeare's Lifetime. The first time England had seen a real lottery was the first national lottery in 1567, instituted by Elizabeth I, when Shakespeare was just three years old. Here today to share with us how this lottery worked, who bought tickets, and who ultimately won the lottery is our guest, Elizabeth Norton. Dr. Elizabeth Norton is a British historian specializing in the Queens of England and the Tudor period. She has degrees from the Universities of Cambridge and Oxford, as well as a PhD from King's College London, where she taught history. She's the author of 12 nonfiction books, including the critically acclaimed The Lives of Tudor Women. She regularly appears on television as an expert. Recently, she acted as historical advisor and featured contributor on the BBC's The Boleyns, A Scandalous Family. Find out more about Elizabeth and her work in the show notes for today's episode. Hello, Elizabeth. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have you here again. Oh, thank you very much. It's a real pleasure to be here. What was the reason behind starting the lottery in England? So,
1: yeah, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. I, mean, I was, when I first came upon the Elizabethan lottery, I was fascinated by it because it seems like such a modern concept. But I mean, basically, the Queen needed money. One way, of course, to do that is to raise money through taxation, but that's never very popular. So they actually try this really innovative approach. And the point of it is they need to raise money to fix up the harbors. England's harbors by the 1560s were in a terrible state and they needed money fast. And the lottery was seen as a way to do that.
0: Was anyone allowed to enter the lottery? And what did the tickets cost? Anyone could enter the lottery
1: you didn't have to be english anyone who wants to buy a ticket can buy a ticket however actually there is a major barrier to purchasing tickets and that's that they cost 10 shillings each and 10 shillings there are 20 shillings in a pound so that's about 50 pence however of course in elizabethan times 50 pence is worth a huge amount of money it's about 3 weeks wages for a labourer it's around It's probably around £120 in English pounds, so probably about 140 $150 today. But, you know, it's a big outlay if you're a poor labourer. So actually, it's aimed at the middle classes, it's aimed at the gentry, it's aimed at the nobility. It's not really aimed at the poorer levels of society. Although, if you think you're about to be arrested for a crime... As a bonus, if you buy a lottery ticket, you're exempt from arrest for seven days, except for for a few more serious crimes, such as murder or piracy. So actually, it might be worth scraping together the 10 shillings if you think you're going to end up in jail anytime
0: soon. Nice alternative to prison, for sure. It is, it is. And you never know, you might win something. Were there any specific incentives offered to try and get people to, to enter? Obviously, aside from, hey, we won't make you go to jail. But I wonder, like, what did people think about the lottery if they had never seen this idea in England before? If it was brand new, did did people like it?
1: I mean, I think it's aspirational. Um, I mean, it, fundamentally, it is the posters for the lottery are really kind of showing these wonderful prizes, life-changing prizes that it offers. And they are life-changing. I mean, the top prize is £5,000, which is around a million pounds or, you know, $1.2 million today ish. So life changing sums of money. So I think the Queen hoped that the list of these great prizes would be enough to draw people in to buy the tickets. It's not successful in any way. Actually, people are very, very sceptical about parting with their money. They have to extend the period that tickets are on sale for because they just don't sell enough. And they have to actually, I mean, at one stage, the Queen sort of has to deny that, you know, it's a bit of a racket and that she's actually sort of pocketing the money. So actually... It's not well received at all. And by the time the draw is finally held, sort of two years down the line, actually they've only sold about a 12th of the tickets and they have to reduce the value of the prizes. So it's, it's a good attempt, it's sort of a valiant effort, but it, it doesn't really
0: work. This lottery of 1567 was the first national lottery in the English-speaking world. So, where did Elizabeth get the idea for this lottery in the first place, and who were the officials she turned to for implementing this plan?
1: So, although it's the first English lottery, there are precedents that she's clearly drawn from. So, I mean, we can see lotteries in his historical record all the way back to sort of ancient China um, when the Great Wall is being built, but in a European context. It is definitely built upon Dutch precedents from the 15th century. We know that in the Netherlands they're having lotteries from at least the mid-15th century. They're not necessarily national, they're more sort of local scale, but certainly the idea is coming out of the Netherlands. France holds a lottery in 1539. Um, This is the lottery royal, but that's also not really a success so there is some understanding of a lottery and actually um, you can see it in the posters that the Queen has produced and you know displayed around the country in that they're not really explaining what a lottery is. I think the assumption is that people roughly know what it is, albeit that there's never been one in England before. William Cecil, the Queen's chief minister, is almost certainly largely behind this attempt. And it, it, I mean, it's a really interesting way of way, raising money. I mean, I should say, you know, that Actually, the prize, the total of the prizes matches the total of the tickets sold. So the Queen isn't technically making a profit on the lottery. So it's an attempt to sort of get hold of some money for a certain period of years. But William Cecil is the driving force behind it. And she then um, appoints commissioners to go and try and sell the tickets. The livery companies in London are quite heavily behind the lottery.
0: According to a copy of the lottery papers at the British Library, the lottery was to be played, quote, without any blanks, end quote. Elizabeth, what does it mean for there to not be any blanks?
1: So this is really important, and this is a way of reassuring the public. So basically saying the only tickets in the draw are ones that have been purchased. So, you know, if John Smith, Betty Jones, you know, Tom Cooper have bought tickets and their names go in and we're not going to put any blanks in. So every single prize will be won by a, an actual human and not, you know, sort of just a random prize. So it's really important. So people know that if they buy a ticket, they've got a chance and they've got as good a chance as anyone else who's got a ticket. And there's no kind of, you know, sort of subterfuge. There's no sort of fake prizes, if you like.
0: What about the tickets themselves? What did they look like? I don't think,
1: I've never come across any surviving tickets. There are references to sort of them being cards. We know that people write messages on them. Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sort of, basically sort of small bits of paper and you obviously need your contact details because I mean the lottery takes place a long time after some people have purchased their tickets you know we're we're talking about sort of two and a half year process by that stage people have probably sort of given up hope of there ever being a draw but basically everything goes in and then um, observers watch as the um, tickets are being pulled out from the draw and it's it's quite it's quite well regulated actually um you know people want to make sure it's all above board
0: I read somewhere that they were putting messages about their worthiness of why they should should win it when they're entering their name and contact information on the ticket. Were they also putting sort of, here's why I should win this?
1: Yeah, and also religious messages and things like that. So I think, and some are a bit jokey. Um, there's one about um, the Pope farting on one of them that I came across, which is uh, yeah, <laughs> clearly a Protestant wrote that. But yeah, so they, you know, I mean, I think they are quite jokey, some of them, and some of them are, you know, sort of hoping they'll win. I mean, the, pri- I mean, the prizes are life changing, you know, if you're a yeoman farmer, so a sort of a, a middle-class farmer and you win the top prize and you're suddenly going to be, you know, you gonna be really, really wealthy, albeit that actually you don't get it all in cash. And the queen actually does seem to have used the lottery as a way to sort of offload some of her old plate and her old linen cloth and tapestries um, on the winner's.
0: So you mentioned that it took two years from the time when they launched this to when they actually did the draw. So how long did Elizabeth I use the national lottery? I mean, apparently this wasn't an annual competition. So did she just do this this once or did it come back up at other times during her reign?
1: Yeah. So it's just this one. I mean, it's not a success. She hoped to raise a hundred thousand pounds in cash. And actually, I mean, she gets, you know, very much smaller amount I mean you know sort of around 10,000 pounds I think which is still a good amount but it's not what she hoped to raise so it it is a failure it doesn't catch on we don't get an annual lottery in England and people seem to be very suspicious of parting the money I think part of the problem is the value of the tickets in that you know it's a lot of money 10 shillings to your average Elizabethan
0: well so when they finally did the draw who was it that won the national lottery and and what did they win unfortunately
1: we don't know we don't have a list of full list of prizes um there are a few records in sort of scattered accounts so we know that the draper's company seem to have won some armor which um isn't terribly useful for them i think um the prizes are um, they look really good on paper so the top prize for example i said is five thousand pounds you get three thousand pounds in cash and then the remaining two thousand is made up of basically goods from the royal store So You're going to have to try and sell this tapestry and this linen cloth and this place if you want to get your £5,000 in cash. The prizes then go down in value. So I think the next one is £3,500 possibly from memory. And they sort of go down and down and down. We know that the value of the prizes was reduced when they didn't sell enough tickets. So actually nobody won the £5,000 because the amount that you win was was conditional on them selling all the tickets. But unfortunately, we don't know who won the top prize. Um, it would still be life-changing money.
0: This is a really fascinating topic and one I don't think that we realize was going on since it was such a blip on the sort of Elizabethan radar there. But I know we'd love to look into some of these things you're, you're talking about where you've got the Drapers Company and the the re- reduction of the of the price there because they didn't sell the tickets. What are some of your favorite books or resources you can recommend we use if we want to explore this part of history further? Where should we start?
1: So it's a really fascinating topic. There is no sort of single book on Elizabeth's lottery. Unfortunately, I mean, somebody needs to write it. My go-to book on this lottery and sort of the history of lotteries in general is Fate's book, How the Lottery Shaped the World by Gary Hicks. I think that came out about 13 years ago. Um, It's a really interesting book. I also like, and this one is going to be slightly harder to find, um, it's an, an old book, a 19th century book. It's John Ashton's A History of English Lotteries. Um, and I think, we, you know, from a Victorian book, we can imagine it's quite wordy, but actually it's got some really good detail about Elizabeth's lottery and the circumstances behind it. Finally, um, head over to the British Library website, because if you go onto the website there, you can actually find a um, scanned image of the actual lottery poster listing the prizes and trying to sell it to the people. And that's really interesting to just have a look at this is what the ticket holders, what persuaded them to buy their tickets.
0: As a marketing example, I think that's fascinating. So we'll we'll put links to all of these resources in the show notes for today's episode. So make sure you go there to find those. Elizabeth, we ask everyone this next question here at That Shakespeare Life. And that's, what's the one book you would take with you on a deserted island? My friends in England tell me I'm supposed to allow you the complete works of Shakespeare and a copy of the Bible. So your choice would be in addition to those. And as I have told guests in the past, since you are a repeat guest, you do have the option of choosing a new desert island Book for your visit with us this time?
1: Ooh, there are so many to choose from. I mean, I think I would have to go with a thick book just to, you know, pass the time a bit. Oh, gosh, it's always difficult. Um, I mean, I love reading. I always feel like I should pick history, but mostly the books I read are history books. But if I'm branching out into fiction, I'm going to go, because last time, I believe I went with the Gas trilogy by Mervyn Peake. So I am now going to go with an American writer and I'm going to go with Gore Vidal Smithsonian Institute, which actually isn't very thick, but is a
0: fabulous, fabulous book. Excellent choice for sure. So what's next for you? What are you working on now that you're excited about?
1: So, yeah, I mean, we're heading into summer here, which is great. Um, So I do lots of tours. I take guests around um, sort of Tudor parts of England, which is always really fun. Also sort of in the early stages of preparing a new book, which is very, very exciting. Otherwise, talks, I do some talks for context um, learning, um, just generally sort of bits and pieces, articles, things like that.
0: It's all exciting stuff coming from Elizabeth Norton. I know I'm looking forward to your next book. And if you would like to follow Elizabeth's work and hear some of her talks and check in with some of the history she's working on, we'll place links to Elizabeth's website so you can follow that in the show notes as well. Elizabeth Norton, thank you so much for being here with us and talking us through Elizabeth's lottery from 1567. This was really a fun conversation. Well,
1: thank you very much. As always, it's a real pleasure. Thank you.
0: Be sure to leave us a comment and rating on your favorite podcast platform to let other listeners know where they can learn something new about Shakespeare. Our show notes for today's episode contain more information on our guests and their research, as well as links to the books and resources they recommend you use to learn more. Find all of these things at CassidyCash.com slash episode 216. That's CassidyCash.com slash EP216. In addition to our regular show notes, our show today is equipped with a full set of detailed show notes. This includes visual content that we're not able to share through the audio. You can check out woodcuts, portraits, museum artifacts, and more, including in-depth notes about the research that went into today's show by becoming a loyal podcast listener on Patreon. For just $5 a month, patrons get access to detailed show notes for today's episode, as well as all of our detailed show notes available on the website, plus exclusive access to bonus episodes. Find out more and sign up today at patreon.com slash that Shakespeare life. That's patreon.com slash that Shakespeare life. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. I'm Cassidy Cash, and I hope you learned something new about the Bard. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.
2: Thank you for listening to That Shakespeare Life. As always, the best conversations happen after the episode over at CassidyCash.com. Become a part of a vibrant Shakespeare conversation by adding your voice over at the website. Until next time, remember, when you want to know William Shakespeare, you have to go behind the curtain and into That Shakespeare Life.